And the rest of you, bigger kids, let's get our Bibles out. Let's open up. I'm going to start out in James, a passage we've already looked at. And uh, start there, and we're going to go all over today. And it was a blessing to have my friend Andrew last week. I don't know if you were here, but uh, the, the surprising joy of repentance. What a great psalm, Psalm 32. I, I don't know about you, but I was challenged, convicted, and yet encouraged that when I fall into sin, man, God says, hey, come to me, repent, because there's all sorts of joy and blessing waiting for you. And, and to see David in that psalm, just what happens, his interaction about, it's just like a burden was lifted off. He goes, before that, his body was wasting away under the guilt. And then under, after repentance, to see the joy in the Lord return. Isn't that cool? It's a great passage. So this morning, we're actually, we're going to continue our series. We're in part five. And um, it, it's, we're continuing this investigation of a peacemaking church. So today, we're not going to be looking at one passage like last week with Psalm 32, all right? Uh, we're going to be going over a, a broad range of scriptures, and we'll be revisiting some um, that we've already visited. But let's start here with James 4, 1 through 4. What, cause, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Good question, right? He's asking that. James, he's talking to Christians what is it? What's going on? How do these quarrels, you know, happen in the family of God amongst Christians? Right? Good question. We're going to find that out. Is it not this, that your passions, in other words, your desires, your cravings, your wants, are at war within you? You, within each one of us, we have wants and cravings, the desires of our heart. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. They're at war within us. Wanting to take center stage. What is supposed to be the number one desire of our heart? To honor and please God. Because when that becomes the, I call it the ruling desire of your heart, the one that's the highest in your heart, all these other desires that come up, if that's the ruling desire, it keeps them in their proper place. Well, I want this, but I know what God says about that, so I'm going to fulfill this want in this specific way, in the way that God says appropriate. An easy one, sex. Is that an appropriate desire? Yes. Who created it? God did. But he also said, you fulfill it. Here's the God-given way to fulfill it. But when you choose all these other ways to fulfill it, you you know, all sorts, you can go all sorts of different things. That's when you start sinning. It's it's become an idol that you're you're willing to, to reject God and what he says and do what I want to do because I want it and I'm going to fulfill it this way, you are now committing idolatry. And that's what he says in James 4.4. 4. He says he calls you, he calls us, what does he call us? 4.4. 4. You adulterer, adulterers. He doesn't call us idol, idolaters. Boy, those are hard words, right? Because he's trying to make an even greater point. James is trying to smack us upside the head to get our attention, to shock us, to realize when we follow our wants and our desires, so much so that we sin to get them or sin to keep them or sin against others because they're getting in our way of our wants, our self-centered, self-oriented wants that from our hearts, he says we are cheating on the covenant we made with God. When you become a Christian, it's not a contract you make with God. It's a covenant. It's likened to the covenant of marriage. That's why James 4.4, 4, 
says, you are committing adultery against God. Remember, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And does that shock you at all to hear that? Whenever you choose to sin with high-handed rebelliousness, you are committing adultery against God. <laughs> James, my goodness. Hard, right? Everyone says, oh, I love the book of James. I'm saying, I don't know if you've read all the book of the James. <laughs> He's in our face, right? So this is Jesus' brother. But let me just read through the whole passage. I jumped ahead because I got going here. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you Christians in the body? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you, in your own hearts? It's not everyone else's fault. It starts in your own heart. You desire and do not have, and because of that, you murder. He went to the extreme there, didn't he? But he's making a point. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, but here's the deal. You ask and do not receive because you ask what? Wrongly. And what is it? To spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, smack. Do you not know that friendship with the world is war with God, enmity? Therefore, whatever, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's talking to Christians here. There's two results, two consequences when we let our hearts rule the day and we quarrel and fight with others because of our self-centered, out-of-control hearts. There's two consequences. One, we're committing adultery against God. We're cheating on God. That's what he says in verse 4. And he says we are becoming, we make ourselves friends of the world and at war with, what does it say? At war with who? God. Yes, I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> That's what he says, right? So we have to let that sink in. So the problem when there's conflict with others, who's the problem? And when take your finger and go like this, right? Because, oh, yeah, don't point at your wife, Mike. I saw that. Sorry, Barb. Yeah, we're working on Mike. We are working on Mike. But here's the deal. Look, look. Even if you're not the initiator of the conflict, how you choose to respond makes you just as culpable, if you're going to respond sinfully, as the person who started it in God's eyes. He doesn't put more weight, oh, they started it, therefore, you know, it's okay if they respond ungodly. He says, no. We, he holds us responsible for how we choose to live and make our decisions, okay? So I, I start there because we are talking about peacemaking in the church. And if I talk about the nebulous peace we get through from God, which is amazing, and the peace that when we live it out in the church, how it's such a great testimony to the world, which is true, and we talk about how we need to own our own sin and then repent when we sin. Those are all great. But here we're going to start boiling it down to now to the actual conflicts we have within the church, within our families. And I'm going to start getting a little bit more in your face. But here's the deal. This one for me, all this comes right back to me. So please hear this. Now, I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm with you in this. Today is the one I had this most struggle with a teachable spirit that accepts and receives criticism. Oh. See, we're going to talk about humility. We've already talked about humility. It's right here in this passage, James 4, verse 6. He gives more grace. See, he's starting to get to the cure for conflict. Is God's, God gives grace to, to find hope in these conflicts. And what does it say? He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the 
humble. Oh, humility. Oh, yeah, I'll serve in the church. I'll bring food to the Brazils. Thank you, by the way. And, and I'll, I'll serve. I'll come set up and I'll serve others. But here's the deal. Humility has another aspect. And the one that's getting really hard is humility hears and receives correction and criticism. Oh, and that's the hardest part. Because when you hear criticism and correction, it means you failed in some way. Taylor, stop laughing at me. She knows that dad has a hard time with this. So, so we're going to kind of boil, we're going to kind of narrow it down to a specific, the, the specific form of humility that we need to all grow in, all right? Some of you are so great, you're so gracious. You know, I've seen how you accept criticism, but some of you are like me or you're stubborn and you struggle with pride. Anyone like me? Anyone willing to admit it? It's hard. But you know what? God says we have to talk about this, right? So we're going to look at that today. Our wanting, self-centered, self-serving, prideful hearts. How's that, right? You're like, Chris, stop it. No, I have to. We've got to go down this. Our self-serving, prideful hearts are what causes conflicts with others. James calls us out and helps us see that our wars, our conflicts come from prideful, idolatrous, cheating, self-worshipping hearts. Our pride puts us at war with each other as Christians. We also put ourselves at war with God. Again, you need to hear this. I felt the slap of this passage, so I'm coming back to it. See, so as your pastor, I mean, if something's hitting me and I, I'm struggling with it, I want to be open about it because I know you struggle too, but this is me and this is what I have to struggle with. But here's the deal. My pride needs to be defeated every day. You guys, pride ever well its ugly head? I'm not the only one, am I? Right. We all struggle. And here's, here's a great little illustration from what, what's he's known as like the prince of preachers. This uh, famous, you guys heard of uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon? One of the greatest preachers of the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s. And let me just read you what happened here. Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker both had churches in London in the 19th century, late 1800s. On one occasion, Parker commented on the poor condition of children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. Not slime, just saying there, there's many sick that get admitted to his orphanage. And that's, that's, that, that's true. That means they're going to get helped. It was reported to Spurgeon, however, that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. Spurgeon blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. The attack was printed in the newspapers and became the talk of the town. People flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday to hear his rebuttal. I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today, and this is the Sunday they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest that we take a love offering here instead. The crowd was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plates three times. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study. It was Spurgeon. You know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. Isn't that cool? I, the reason I like this is that Spurgeon is a hero of the faith, but he was a human, right? And he made a mistake. He really did. But he, it's a, a good evidence of what happens when we feel attacked. We want to defend, and we want to attack back. Any of you? Okay. I'm talking to the right crowd then. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate that. But look at Parker's response. 
Would you characterize, characterize it as uh, prideful or humble? Humble. And what happened to the conflict? It ended the conflict. Wow. And it, he ended up being a blessing. Spurgeon then responded in humility, and that's refreshing too to see his response by going to Parker and thanking him. Isn't that cool? There's reconciliation in the family. And what a testimony. Because notice what happened when the people heard Spurgeon's response. What did they all do? They flocked. Let's go to Parker and see what he says. Because everyone's, ooh, we love controversy. Right? So people are watching us. And what did they see? They saw grace in action, humility in action. And, that's, and that is such a great example. And isn't funny, James 4, 6 says exactly the same thing. But God says, it's, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So that's what I want to talk about today. As a pastor, as a husband, a father, I am called to be a servant leader to my family, to you all, to serve in humility, to help others. Oh, that's, I can do that. But... Humility gets really hard when it comes to criticism. It's just hard, right? It means I've failed. I like to be right. Any of you? I struggle with that. But here, the wisdom from God, and it says in many places, but especially in Proverbs, as we'll see, that rather than loving myself, which is pride, okay, it's, it's, you know, I, I am actually, instead of, when I, when I respond in pride, and, and it comes from I want to love myself, actually, I'm, biblically, I'm actually hating myself. Because check this out. My pride actually destroys me. Because in humility, I would hear criticism, because usually criticism, again, not always, but a lot of times criticism or correction is to help. By the way, the Word of God, one of its roles is to rebuke and reprove, to correct. So if I'm so prideful, I'm going to read right past those passages that I need to listen to, or I'm going to dismiss somebody who's coming to me with the help that God has provided. So I'm hurting myself. I'm, I'm, you know, someone says you're shooting your foot to spite your, whatever, I don't know how to, but you know what I mean. We're hurting ourselves. Makes me dumber, according to Proverbs, and we'll look at that. So this morning, again, I've been hitting this hard as the introduction, because as we start looking at the Scriptures, I'm doing what's called the the broad range of Scriptures. I'm just going to read some passages, and I'm not going to dissect them a lot. I'm just going to say, look, here's what it says. It's pretty straightforward. Proverbs are like that, right? It's what you see, like, oh, okay, hits you in the face, and there it is. So we'll just do that today. All right, so we're going to get into the nitty-gritty now. How do you hear criticism? And let's grow in that. But, but first, let me just emphasize, what does pride do to you? Okay, because how many of you struggle with the problem of pride? Okay, everyone, everyone. Okay, now, Medina, you two, struggle, put your hand up. Get, get your hand up too. Everyone get your hand up. Pride is the core of why we don't worship and obey God every day. Okay, she's still mad at me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, and so the problem of, I'm specifically calling it resisting correction and criticism. Check out Proverbs 15, 32. And there's so many on this, but I'll just focus on a few. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. You see that? If you are not a person who hears in Proverbs 15, 32 under the problem of pride, 
If you do not listen to instruction, which is correction or advice, okay, you despise yourself. I, do I have the right slide up? Oh, there we go. Good. Pride. What is that? The love of me. <laughs> my wants, my desires. Putting me first and pursuing the fulfillment of them is the undeniably characteristic uh, nature of man, of all of us. It is the plague of our independent spirit. We are essentially takers, not givers. That's our gut thing. What, I want what I want. I, I want to fulfill what I, what I want, Right? Pride, we need to understand, hurts us, but it also, like I'm talking about, it puts us in the enemy's camp. We make ourselves friends with the world. As Christians, it's saying in James 4. It blinds us to our weaknesses and the potential help right in front of our faces. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Pride destroys relationship and unity and peace. By insolence or pride, Proverbs 13, 10, by insolence comes nothing but strife. That means fights. But those who take advice is wisdom. Those who take advice is wisdom. So pride is a problem. Prideful people destroy relationships and can destroy a church. So I, when I'm not fighting my pride, I'm destroying our church. How about you? We all do. You guys understand that? I can see the Genesis 3 curse on me. What is Genesis 3 curse on Crispin Zeal? For men. Well, okay, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the curse on the ground, but there's also something that it said that, that men would do to their wives. Instead of being a servant leader, I'm going to domineer over. That's prideful. What's the Genesis 3 curse on women besides having tougher you know, baby, you know, giving birth, what? Instead of serving, submitting to the husband's leadership, she would want to take over the leadership. It's a total battle of the sexes. So when the Genesis 3 curses on me, I destroy my marriage, my relationship with my kids. I destroy unity in the body. There's all sorts of collateral damage. And I'm not the only one. I'm one of 50. So if 40 of us are operating in pride, what's going to happen to this church? Right? So that's why it's so important that we talk through this, okay? And I can't tell you how many times I haven't listened to Renee's advice and I just kicked myself later. Taylor, quit laughing. (laughs) It's true, though. You know, God put her in my life, according to Genesis 2, to be a what? My completer, you know, because I have weaknesses, she has the strengths that cover those weaknesses. I have strength that cover her weaknesses so that together we are a complete team. When I don't listen to her, I'm ruining our team. Hey, Bob hits Callie. That was funny. Yeah, I see a little elbowing going on here around. That's right. But my pride keeps me so often from hearing the ready help, not only from Renee, but from people who come to me with a, hey, you might want to try this. Or, Chris, you said this, but, you know, you might want to do this instead. Or, Chris, you said this and you did. Or you did. My pride wants to defend myself, wants to dismiss, and then it wants to go on the attack. But God's, God uses other people and his word 
to give me help. So the question is, am I humble enough to receive it? Are you humble enough to receive it? Right? So we're going to keep working down this. So let's, let's look at, at God's answer. It's the character of humility. So we're going to start with the broad topic of humility. But for that, I'm going to go to Gen, uh, Philippians chapter 2. So turn over, turn backwards in your Bible about, oh, I don't know, six, ten books, something like that. It's after Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. Paul is writing to one of his favorite churches, and it's a, it's a joy letter. He just has a bunch of joy for this church, but they were struggling with unity in the body. And chapter 2 is all about how do you have a more unified body? Because he told them in, in verse 27 of chapter 1, hey, be, be striving together. He uses war imagery and athletic imagery. Have a one-mindedness, striving together for the sake of the gospel. And chapter 2 is all about how that happens. And the key topic, humility. Right? So we see, first of all, the call to humility. It says... Uh, uh, in verses 3 through 4, okay, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. How easy is that? Did you hear what he said? Count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, hey, take care of what you need to take care of for yourself, sure, but also to the interests of others. The call to humility that esteems and serves others. That's the first thing. The second thing, he goes on in verses uh, 5 through 11, his number one example of how to have a unified body and and, and exhibiting this characteristic of humility is Jesus Christ himself. That's his first example. He gives four examples in this chapter about how you can have humility. The first one is Jesus Christ himself. He's the ultimate. The second one is Paul himself because he had spent time with them serving them. Then the next one is is Timothy, who he was going to send, who was going to work with them, and Epaphroditus, who the Philippians had sent to him to serve him. But they're all all people that are examples of humility. So let's just walk through this. So the humility, first of all, that imitates Christ. Have this mind. This is right after verse 4. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that he, to hold on to. He was willing to leave heaven and come, come down to serve us. Verse 7, but he emptied himself. He didn't stop being God. He just decided to lay aside the use of what he could have. He came as a man and he came as a baby a baby that needed to be fed and changed to grow in wisdom and stature with God and man. Think about that. God, a very God, came and did that. Why? He tells us. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of what? Death. Even death on a cross, the most brutal form of torture and humiliation, public humiliation. But notice this. His humility and willing to serve accomplished God's greatest plan of all. It's called, we call it the plan of what? Redemption. He came and was able to fulfill God's mission, not by being the prideful, I'm the king, follow me. He came as a servant. Ah, who do we follow, folks? Jesus Christ, don't we? That's what Christian means, follower of Jesus. How you doing? Again, when I say this, 
coming this way too, how are you doing in imitating his kind of humility, his kind of service? Well, that's what it boils down to, right? So that's the first example. The second series of three, I call that the humility that imitates other godly Christians. That's why we need to be in a church so we can see older godly Christians who are good examples. But Paul here lays it out. In verse uh, 17, he, he says this about himself. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. His own example to the Philippians was like, my life doesn't matter. I'm here to be a drink offering poured out. What, is, what happens to an offering? Do you take it back up after the offering's given or is it just, it's gone? Because my life is to be an offering to God. I come to serve you, and I don't care if I, you know, you know, I'm done. I'm so fried. I'm just here to serve you because I want to see your faith grow, is what he said. Philippians 2, 20 through 22, we find Timothy's faithful, humble servants service to the Philippian Christians. For I have no one like him, he's talking about Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He's considering them as more important than himself, looking out for their interests, right? That's two verses three and four at the beginning of the chapter. He's saying Timothy is the kind that exhibits this. For they all seek, all these other people, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. That's his character, a servant to serve others. And he was about to send Timothy to minister to them. Epaphroditus, we see he's a man from their own church, is another example. He has, he's been a faithful servant, a humble servant to them. And, and he had been sent by the Philippians to minister to Paul on their behalf. Look, look at this. So receive him when, when Epaphroditus comes back uh, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Meaning they, they all couldn't come serve him. Because where was Paul when he wrote to the Philippians? Do you know? He was in prison. So they all couldn't come visit him. They just couldn't do that. But they sent money and they sent Epaphroditus to be his servant on their behalf. And he almost died while he was there. He got so sick and serving and all that. And he was just telling them, hey, he, he loves you guys. He's worried that you, that you all are worried for him. And when he does come back, hey, honor him. He hasn't failed when he got sick. He was serving me. You guys honor such men. You guys, that's, that general character of humility is what he's talking about here is that that needs to be in each one of us to pursue humility. And again, James 4, 6 and James 4, 10 God gives grace to those who are humble, and it says that those who are humble, God will exalt. We think the opposite. A humble person, he gets pushed to the background. You know, if you watch football, I love football. A guy does a tackle, and he starts doing what? He walks back to the huddle, and that's it? If you watch football, they start prancing, around, look at me, look at me, you know, I want, look at me. <laughs> so it's like, ah. Oh. No, God says he'll exalt those who are humble. The cure for conflicts is humility. Be a servant. But now let's, let's boil it down. Let's look at some Proverbs on this specific aspect of humility that is essential to peacemaking, to facing and resolving conflicts. And this is the element that confronts my pride most directly and consistently is, is humility's ability to hear criticism. We're on point three. So I'm just going to look at some of the Proverbs here that 
I mean, again, I could, I could pull out way more because this is such a, main, a big topic in the book of Proverbs, pride versus humility. And I call this humility's harder pill to swallow. Is that for you? This is the harder part of it. The humility that is open to receiving and learning from correction and criticism. Real briefly, Proverbs 15.32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So we're talking about the humility to hear, to learn, and grow because we're willing to hear, right? You're blessed with an ability to grow wiser when you do. Proverbs 9.9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. We always think, okay, if I'm wise, I'm here to instruct others. No, a truly wise person continues to be a what? A learner, a listener, and a a receiver of more help. That's truly wise. And, And again, I've already talked about this, but it's not only that you get blessed by God and you get you know, uh, this, this wisdom, increasing wisdom, but you're also blessed with the ability to learn quicker, it says in Proverbs 17.10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. How many of you like to say, I, I just have to learn it the hard way? Okay, that actually is what I say about myself. You know what the Bible would call me, Chris Brinzeal? A fool. Stop laughing, Scott. But how many of you are with me? You have to learn the hard way usually. Well, let's, let's covenant to be wise and not have to learn the hard way, right? And the, again, the core for me is my pride. Got to fight it. Humility, also, I've talked about this, but I'm going to highlight again, God rewards humility, and, you know, we talk about that, uh, you know, at the, uh, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. And that doesn't mean like mousy. That means somebody, it's called, the word for meek is actually means power under control. The picture is used of a, of a bit in, in, a, in the horse's mouth. This little piece of metal, you can direct this huge, powerful animal and keep it under control and be useful. Blessed are those who are meek, who, who, des- who, who purposely use self-control when they could blast others. The, the picture, a great picture, is exactly what's happening in our Sunday school, holding a little baby. Do you have power to hurt that baby? Yeah, you do, physically. But yet, when you're holding the baby, that's a picture of meekness, of power under control to bless and to help. It says, blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. What an insurance, assurance, isn't that? I've already talked about James 4, 6, and 10, that he gives us more grace. How many of you want more grace from God? It's not more grace to save you, by the way. The grace he's talking about there is the ability to learn and to live day to day. Because grace is given by God in salvation, Titus 2, 11. But Titus 2, 12 says grace also helps us push away the old self to put off sin, it says in 2.12, and to put on godliness. It says that grace instructs us to do that and helps us. Do you want that kind of grace? Or do you want to just kind of being the same blasé Christian who's kind of just a mediocre Christian? I don't want that. 
I want to grow in grace. I want to grow, because I, and I, I need to grow in humility, because you get more grace. You want that? I do. And here's the deal. The cross is the key. This is the last point. Again, I, I, we could be like Pharisees and say, okay, I, I, I'm going to try to respond with better, with a, with a more accepting attitude. And, and, and then we start trying to do things superficially, but we always have to go back to the heart, don't we? We talked about that, you know, when we looked at James 4. It, our heart is the key here. Our heart is always the key. So I want to look at the gospel and how it helps us grow in humility, okay? So that's why I'm jumping over to Galatians 2.20. All right? To grow in humility, we have to go back to the cross because here our hearts, our inner man is confronted and corrected and comforted. So let's look at the gospel and see how it can help us grow a teachable spirit. So listen to this passage here, the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucified. That's the first thing. I've been crucified with Christ. But here's the deal. It's a reminder that I deserved the penalty of death. That's why he had to be crucified. It's a reminder that he died for me even though I was an arrogant, prideful enemy. While we were yet sinners, Romans 5 says... He died for the ungodly. He didn't die because you were so cool. It's like, oh, I got to save that person. No, that's not why he died. He died because of his love, because he started the, he's the initiator. Crucified, it reminds me of my proper view of me and how I relate to others. The minute my pride starts welling up, I got to remember the cross. I deserve death. Again, you don't stay there, but you guys, that's the proper view to keep us humble. I've been crucified with Christ. That that talks about I have died with him if I'm a Christian. I'm united to him in his death. Why? So I can die to myself. And I'm going to look at Romans 6, 3 through 4 here, okay? It says that I can therefore be raised from the dead by God's glory, mercy, and love and be raised to this cool thing called the newness of life. Listen to this in Romans 6, 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's not talking about water baptism there. It's the spiritual thing that happens when you become a Christian, you are united to him. That's what it's talking about, okay? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk, how? In newness of life. See, here's the deal. Jesus died so that we could die. Problem is, is when I fight back in pride, I'm not dying. I'm wanting to fight for me. But now we can have a whole different way. If we're a Christian and we are comf- and we are set in how God sees us, that's for the cross. We have to keep going back to the cross. That, that gives us an appropriate view. My sins are what nailed him to the cross. Chris Brunzeel's, yours. If you're a Christian, he died for your sins. That means that we're the guilty ones. So when I look at somebody who's another Christian, I see somebody just as guilty as me, but I also see somebody just as 
forgiven as me. I'm no better than anyone else. What do I keep fighting? What do I keep wanting? It's because I have a heart that's not fully redeemed yet. That won't happen until glory, right? Our, our completion, as far as God's pr- plans and purpose, will not happen totally in this life. It's a constant struggle. I've been Christian now since I was 19, 33 years almost. I still struggle. Any of you? <laughs> but I do get that taste of walking in newness of life as a Christian. I'm a lot different than I used to be. I praise God for that. The life I live is by Christ, it's in Christ, and it's for Christ. And I can now relate to others with a whole new perspective, seeing myself differently, seeing others differently. I learned to die to self, killing pride in my works, this whole thing. But look at me, look at what I can do. (laughs) Now I can live for Christ. And that's faith's freedom to walk in humility and service. I mean, someone, I remember once when I was a, a youth pastor and I was, after the class, I was, walk, I was crawling around the ground picking up Skittles. We had had a, you know, fun thing and I was, and there, and someone came up to me and says, oh, you know, oh, got to let this, got to let this, others do that. Like, I shouldn't as a pastor. I'm like, why? <laughs> why shouldn't I? You know, and, and, and this isn't to pat myself on the back, but it's a good reminder that, look, we have got to be willing to be humble. And that means it actually does require sometimes being on our hands and knees, helping others, right? But especially, again, that part was easy, it's, but it, the hardest part is when we hear what? Criticism. I could pick up Skittles, but hearing you tell me how I failed, you know what's, what's raising his ugly head there? Chris Brunzeel's internal defense lawyer. How many of you have an internal defense lawyer? All of you do, but need to get your hand up again. I know you do too. (laughs) We all do. That's called pride, right? So that's that's how we struggle with this. I live by faith in the Son of God. My identity, you know what I'm thinking of right there? Thinking of Dick. My identity is in Him. My purpose derives from him and his life's example, his teaching, his purpose. My purpose is to proclaim him, live like him, and serve others. This dying with Christ, dying to self, dying to the me-centered life means I have a new heart and a new purpose and a new view of others. I'm going to skip a bunch of this and just get down to it. So what? Let's get to the so what, all right? Maybe you're like me, maybe. And recognize you don't respond in humility to correction and criticism. Maybe you realize you're quick to defend yourself and minimize your sin or your faults and ignore advice. Do you see that that's pride? Part of, the, part of fixing a problem is finding out what the problem is. And if it's always other people, you're missing, you're missing it. It's always got to say, look, how am I the problem here? sometimes you really aren't the problem, but most of the time you are. Let's be honest, right? And here's the deal. That pride is blinding you, and it's also hurting you. It destroys you. Pride destroys. It makes you a fool, the Bible says. makes me a fool. And I know I've got a lot of growing to do in this area, especially relating to those closest to me, Renee and the kids. The closer you get to somebody, the harder it is to hear. Okay, maybe it's just me. 
Harder is to hear criticism, right? So hear this, and this is the same challenge. Let's do this together. Do you desire to change and grow in this area of humility? Do you? Okay, if you are, okay, we're going to help each other do this, all right? So let's start at the cross. We already talked about that. And see what God is really telling me here. That in love, he's saying, I'm imperfect, flawed, weak, sinful, and in need of serious help. That's what the cross tells us. Let's grow in the humility to hear and receive, and because of that, we'll grow in wisdom and grace from God, right? So, first thing you have to do, first thing I have to do, ask for the Spirit's help in seeing the logs in your own eye. I talked about this two weeks ago, Matthew 7, ask for the Spirit, Psalm 139, 23 through 24, search me, O God, and know my heart, see if there be any sinful, hurtful, grievous way in me, depending on your translation, and lead me in the way of everlasting. So ask God, hey, open my eyes to that log. Because remember, if you've got a log, you can't see it because it's blinding you. Ask for the Spirit to say, hey, here it is. <laughs> right? Take it out and then help others. That's the first part. Ask the Spirit. And so ask yourself some of these questions. How do I habitually respond when I hear criticism or correction or advice? It's just a question to ask yourself. Do I dismiss them or defend myself or deflect blame or destroy the person approaching me? See all the D's there? Do I ever seek advice or ask for help or input or feedback or suggestions? Ask ask yourself that question. Look at yourself. This is self-evaluation time. Are you the kind that seeks feedback or advice or help? Can my spouse, children, church family, or friends correct me? Or do they have to walk on eggshells? Stop it, Taylor. Am I a teachable person? So look. Uh, first of all, ask the Spirit you know, to help you. Ask, use these questions and then pray. You know, help me see this. And then look to the cross again. Remember that though a rebellious, prideful, undeserving sinner, he died for you out of love and grace and mercy. And because of that, rejoice in your redemption, your justification, adoption, forgiveness, and freedom. But don't stop there yet. Challenge yourself. Do I truly agree with God about my terrible condition before him, a sinner at war with him? Do you agree with that statement? Because remember, that's what the Bible says about you and me. Apart from God, that's what we are. It's hard to hear, isn't it? Now, because of what he's done on the cross, he saves us and sanctifies us, but still, do we deserve that grace that he gives us? The key word is deserve. Do we? No, we do not. That's why we should never stop being grateful for what he's done and is doing. That's grace upon grace. Oh, my goodness. Maybe I think think a bit higher of myself in practice than what the Bible says, right? How many of you think, I'm really not that bad. Look at them. Ever do that? (laughs) Thank you, Mike. I appreciate Mike's honesty there. Correct yourself. Maybe in my defending or attacking those who come to me, maybe I'm just not comfortable with God's view of me in Christ. I don't understand or believe that I am completely loved by and accepted by Him. Maybe that's part of your problem. You're always trying to be right because you want to earn something from God, or in your pride you're saying, look at what I can do, God. And when somebody challenges you, 
you forget. What does God say about you? Can God love you any more than he does right now? I heard a couple of the right answers, but I want to hear it loudly. He loves you. He proved it. You don't earn more of his love. You aim to please him, but it's not something where he stops loving you. We just want to just like, you know, a kid wants to please dad. Does the love ever change? No, but there's that joy of watching first steps a little baby takes and and then the first project at school and the riding the bike for the first time. It it doesn't change love. It's just a, a, a relational joy. God loves you the way, not the way you are in the sense of you don't have to change, but He loves you because He sent His Son to die for you. You're precious to Him. So maybe in in your attacking back, you're trying to fight for self because you don't really believe that God loves you. I want to throw that out there because some have said that to me in the past. But I'm going to say that probably most of the time, just plain old pride. Okay? So let's, you guys, we, we want to, again, the whole reason for this series is that we, as a church, we have a, a, a wonderful church. But here's the deal. We can get better, right? We can get better. So that's why we're going through this series, right? We want to talk about how can we grow as a peacemaking church because what a witness. Think about what happened this week in our culture on TV, the fighting, the animosity. And yet, what can we display to the world? We can show how we relate to each other. Let's, you want to get better at that? Let's do that, okay? Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, it is my hope and my prayer that for all of us, that you would grow in us a more humble spirit, one that serves others for sure, but it also can receive the help and correction and wisdom we need. Lord, I, I pray that we would... Uh, just see a greater humility in our lives, in our church life, that, that really uh, grows, it just allows for a greater freedom and a greater joy as we walk in this newness of life. Thank you for the hope we have in you. Thank you for your love as displayed on the cross. Help us to just have a proper view of ourselves and, and, just, and just rest in your, your love for us and, and, Lord, for the help that you provide through others in correction and criticism. God, help us to be people who hear. God, we love you. Thank you for what you've been doing in us and what you will continue to do. So we love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.